But uh, tonight I want to talk to you about a sobering subject. And I wouldn't doubt that every family in this church is affected in some way by this subject. There's almost not a family that I've ever met doesn't have some homosexual, whether it be lesbian or male, they're making it just homosexual, uh, in their family. Um, it is a disturbing thing. And we're going to talk about where it came from. <clears throat> I've, I've, I've plowed this dirt. I've plowed this ground long and long and hard. But I, I believe I have uh, some insight for you tonight. that will help. If you don't already, it'll re reinforce what you already know. But I've sat or meditated on this. I got this idea when I was sick. And this is, uh, these, are, these, are called my, these are my six sermons. Take it or leave it. Why... Does homosexuality keep going? Why does it keep going? Have you ever wondered that? They cannot duplicate. They cannot replicate. They cannot have children. They're destined to die off, yet they grow. Uh, they get killed off, sometimes by, in the case of uh, AIDS, AIDS killed, at the beginning, killed massive groups of them. Um, and yet, they seem to prosper. But in time, they work their way back into the fiber of society, even if they're set back. They're found in every nation, every tongue, and every people. The Spanish conquistadors, which I've read some about, came onto the Mayans and to the Aztecs and other of those major populations, and they found them inundated with homosexuals to where it sickened them. And they, their own words, we slaughtered them as pigs. Because even those nasty old conquistadors, which were not necessarily nice people, you know what I'm saying about that. In other words, they weren't necessarily moral people. But they had enough Catholicism, enough, more, enough Bible influence, that when they saw the degree of homosexuality among the Mayans and Aztecs and some of them, they just were repulsed by it and began to just slaughter them as pigs. And God allowed that to happen and, in fact, went on to almost extinguish those groups of people. Could it have been over this that that happened? They were, uh, the homosexuals were among the Greeks. You can read history about their, among the Romans, man. The fall, rise and fall of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire became debauched in every immoral way you can be debauched. Uh, they go, in, in the Bible, they go all the way back to Abraham. Now we're talking Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 15. We're talking about the very beginning of the beginning. Date-wise, according to, James, I think it is James Usher, which if you want to know about dates in the Bible, his book's about that thick. I got it in my office. I'll loan it to you if you have any insomnia trouble. And um, 
2166 B.C. is the date he gives for Abraham's existence. Homosexuals often rise to the top. They're often found in ruling classes. They gravitate to education, to riches, to art, and to ease. They often are creative and musically inclined and gifted. It is characterized, homosexuality is characterized by the depth of its perversion. Nothing is too strange for the homosexual. They have cross-dressing, transvestitism, transgenderism, multi-partners, proliferation. It is not uncommon for a homosexual to have 50 partners in a week. Nothing is sacred. Children are absolutely not safe around them. Body piercing and deforming of every kind. One would think that this would not, this would, uh, uh, would not be contagious one generation to the next. You wouldn't think it would be, but it is. There's something we're not seeing. You know, it's been said to me, when the puzzle doesn't make sense, you don't have all the pieces. When the puzzle doesn't make sense, you don't have all the pieces. Now, you ought to take that to the bank. That's where it's coming. That's been one of the most sweet pieces of wisdom I've ever found out in my life. There have been lots of situations in life I've been presented that just absolutely not make sense. Two and two did not make four. But you know, two and two always makes four. You just don't know all the pieces. But when sometimes down the road, way later, you'll find out that piece, and you'll go, two and two makes four? I see the logic of why it went on, or I see the logic of where they were coming from. But I didn't know that one piece, and without that piece, it's absolutely illogical. But with that piece, it makes sense. There's, people operate on a certain system of logic. But there's something deeper that is propagating it, that is selling it, Something that we can't see. Now let's do a quick exposition, starting with Genesis chapter 18. I'm, I'm going to take a quick preview tonight. Quick meaning Super Bowl quick. I had somebody ask me this morning, how long are you going to preach tonight? And I said, you keep talking, I'll keep preaching. <laughs> now Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 18, 1 through 15, deals with the angel coming and telling Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a baby. And you know He's past. He's 100 years old. She's, uh, or actually, he's about 99 years old. She's 89. She's past the time of women. She's been already menopausal for a while. And she does what any menopausal woman would do. She laughed. I'm not too hard on Sarah. Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to have a baby. Right. That'd be like my wife. That'd be like me going to my wife and saying, by the way, Kathy, you're going to have a baby. And she like, you'd hear her laugh from here. And then cry, weep, and gnash of teeth. In verse 20 of Genesis 18, it says, The Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. That's a key verse there. What was the reason that the angels came down? Two angels, it seemed like two angels came down and went to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says, Abraham stood before L-O-R-D, capital, stood before God. And he reasoned with God as the two angels were sent down to Sodom and Gomorrah, where, by the way, Lot, his nephew, was there. 
But God reveals in this passage some truths. First, from that passage, we know sin disturbs heaven. Not just any sin, but a certain degree, a certain depth, a certain amount, a certain uh, criteria is meant that somehow makes its way and gets attention of heaven in a special way. Uh, and, and secondly, this teaches sin is not sin. All sin is not sin. God don't come down. <coughs> God does not come down just for anything. I mean, he didn't do this anywhere else in the Bible. This was it. I mean, it takes some unusual amount, degree, kind, perversion to get his attention to the place where he actually comes down and goes out of the normal realm of people living and dying. And he takes out a group of people. The flood people were a good example. Uh, possibly, according to Henry Morris, took out 25 billion people before the flood. They got his attention. And you don't want to get God's attention in that way. Because by the time he comes down, there's no saving you. There's just judgment. And in this case, they had done something. We learned that their sin was very uh, grievous. Um, that is, it's, they're in verse 20. It, sin is very grievous. Sin is not sin. There are degrees of sin in kind and intensity in the Bible. I hear people say, sin is sin. They're talking about positional, uh, they're talking about positional sin. In other words, what sends you to hell? Sin. And in that case, sin is sin. When you, you were born a sinner and you sin. There's two reasons why you go to hell. You're born a sinner and you sin. And so that's because born sinners sin. You cannot not sin. And so in that case, you could say sin is sin. And I think that's what most people mean by that. But there's another practical application of sin, uh, sins being different one from another. Uh, if I steal a cookie, it's not the same as me shooting you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those sins do not match up. Both of them are sin. I steal a cookie, and the other one I take a gun and shoot you. There's a degree difference in the violation, and God notes that, and he mentions that about being very grievous there, and it tells you that there's some sins. He says in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, it says, Verily I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's the city that rejected him. <coughs> the degrees of punishment are different. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 21, it says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, which those are cities up at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and unto thee, Bethsaida. I've stood in those cities. What's left of them? For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. In Revelation, what they call, there's uh, ecclesiastical Babylon. In chapter 17 chapter 18, there's economic Babylon. Uh, in 18 verses 4 and 5, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. Sins. And that you receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. And so it comes a time when God has just had enough. I call it crossing that invisible line. People do it individually. People do it nationally. 
You don't want your nation to cross that line and be given over to this type of a judgment. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 23 to 33, we see the logic of God's morality in his decision-making. Verse 25, it says, uh, where, where the, the, um, the uh, I'm not going to call it jousting, but the uh, debating back and forth of God, Jehovah God, and Abraham goes, where it says, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, because God had told Abraham, I'm going to go down and destroy Sodom. And that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now this is exactly what I was up most almost I was up most all the night on election night. And this was the verse that God gave me. And I just kept saying that. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Don't slay us with them. I'm not responsible for Hollywood. All the perversion and iniquity and homosexuality and transgender, that's not me. I'm against all that. Lord Jesus, remember us. You're righteous. You're not going to slay. You're not going to slay the righteous. I felt our election, this last election, was the difference between being slain and not slain. At least for me as a preacher. And uh, I just said, God, have mercy on us. Please don't turn us over to them. Judgment must first begin at the house of God. I understand that. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? You know. And we learn from this passage, Abraham knew God and walked with him. He had an intimate relationship with him, understood his character, appealed to his righteous character. This is a great way to pray. God does not want to slay these, these groups, these groups of people. He's not, God, Jesus says, I come not to the condemn the world, but to save the world. At any moment, God could condemn the world by fire, the whole thing blow up, you know, the elements release, the hydrogen and oxygen element could separate from each other, start on fire, boom, it's over. Everything's made up, almost everything's made up of H2O. Hydrogen, oxygen, both very flammable when separated. I mean, it's not a hard thing for God to, never, a lot of times we say, I wonder why God's letting that go on. Because at any time he can stop it, but he's given people mercy. God does not want to slay these groups. Uh, it's just, just outright to slay them. He wants them to repent. And so we use this in our prayer. We ask him, we logically reason with him that, um, I'm going to tell you this, those Hollywood people are here tonight because of some righteous folks, some born-again people, some people that want to live by the Bible, reasoned with God, and he heard us. I believe they had gotten his attention. I believe their ragings, have you heard their ragings? Their ragings have gone up to heaven. We see in verse, chapter 19, verse 1 to 3, the contact. The angels come into town. They go to, they go to Sodom and Gomorrah Square. They want to stay the night. <coughs> That'd be like staying the night in New York City down to the roughest part of town. Hello? I don't think you're going to make it through the night. Now, these angels would have made it. They wouldn't have had any problem making it. It would have been the people coming to them who would have had trouble making it. But they were there to see, see the situation and uh, look around and stay in the square. Of course, you know, uh, Lot saw him, and, and he was waiting there, and he saw him, and he said, Ooh, you got to can't just about force him to come into his house. We see the confrontation in verses 4 through 11 there. Uh, what can we learn about homosexuality from, this, from these verses 11 through 11. Here's some of the things we can learn. First of all, homosexuals are very perceptive. 
get this, they're very perceptive to innocence. They're very perceptive to innocence. They're attracted to innocence. These two angels were innocent, sinless, in the midst of a wicked group of folks, and they how did they know those two guys? What? What was it? They were perceptive. They were perceptive. I mean, in a, in, a, in a fairly large city, two people walk in. Come on. Two more people. But it wasn't just two people. They sensed the innocence. In Proverbs 6.26, it says, For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. There's something highly attractive to wicked immorality that innocence has. It attracts them. It's like a magnet to them. And we learn by, by this, and do I, do I need to review verses 4 through 11? Do I need to review that with you? Or do you pretty well, most of you know that? I didn't really have it here where I was going to read it, uh, but... Uh, I think I'm going to. Okay, I think I need to. Uh, Genesis uh, 19. I, I shouldn't assume you know it because not all of you are, are that familiar with the Bible. So let me read just real quickly, 4 through 11, make the rest of my comments there. It says in verse 4, uh, Before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Sodom and said unto him, where are the men which came in unto this night? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out of the, at the door unto them and shut the door behind him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wicked. Behold, now I have two daughters which I have not known man. Let innocent, innocent daughters. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as it is good in your eyes only those, only under these men do nothing. For therefore, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we'll deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man even lot and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled the two angels, that is, pulled him into the house of them and shut the door. And they smote the men were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Wow. What do we learn from that about homosexuals? Generally, we learn, number one, they're evangelistic. They're highly evangelistic. They do not keep it to themselves. They, they are not the gentle people that they try to portray themselves to be. They are anything but gentle people. Um, they want to convert the innocent or those around them. They're, number two, they're determined. Or number, maybe this is number three. I think this is number three. They're determined. We learn that from this. They compass the house about. They're tireless. The Bible says they weary themselves to find a door. Verse 11, even being blinded. I don't know about you, but if you're blinded, that would, that would kind of discourage me, right? I mean, you're blinded. You're blind, you can't see. And you try to find the door blind. Well, what are you going to do when you do find it? You still can't see. They're that determined, that 
possessed. They're tired, so they're evangelistic. Well, they're perceptive to innocence. They're evangelistic. They're determined. They're tireless. And these men, at least at Sodom here, were not savable. They did not respond to any injunction. Do not so wickedly. They did not respond to being blinded. They are, and, and lastly, they're an abomination to God. That's why God sent the angels to destroy them. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as, thou, as with womankind. It is an abomination. Now, I, I'm not going to go to prove that to you because you know that. There are groups of people, even megachurches now, that are trying to say homosexuality is just an alternate lifestyle. It's okay. There is no way. There is just simply no way to make the Bible say that. You just cannot make us say that if words mean what they mean and, and sentences mean what they mean and paragraphs mean what they mean. You cannot say that. You are twisting the Scriptures and lying about what God said to promote your agenda if you say that. You may be in this room. There may be people that believe that in this room. I can just tell, I'm trying to be as truthful to you as I know to be after 45 years of studying the Bible. It's not what God says. I have relatives that are homosexual. Nobody that is a practicing homosexual can be saved as a practicing homosexual. It cannot be. They have to repent. They have to repent. What I mean by repent is completely repudiate that lifestyle. Completely denounce that lifestyle in the same words God uses. It's an abomination. What is an abomination? Look it up. The definition, a detestable thing. Detestable is a strong word. It's detestable. Do not become friendly with something that's detestable to God. You don't have to be mean-spirited, but you need to condemn it as God condemns it. If you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Make sense? You don't lie to somebody if you love them. Well, let me, let's take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10. Know ye not <coughs> that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And I want to put up after that, duh. There's groups of people out there, in the name of Jesus, are trying to sell us that you can be uh, practicing uh, uh, sin, that God's absolutely straightforward, can have you be practicing it and still be righteous. The first John absolutely destroys that. He that is righteous doeth righteousness. Okay? He that is righteous doeth righteousness. If you say you're something, your practice follows it. And you can't be over here practicing this immorality of any kind, you know, sin, and then say, oh, now I'm not talking about the fact, you say, well, once in a while I sin, brother, but you don't plan on doing it, do you? You don't want to do it, do you? You try to avoid it, don't you? You hate it, don't you? Man, when I sin, I hate it. That's, a, that's the attitude of a, of a person with the Holy Spirit in them. Because God hates sin. But look at this verse. Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Now, what does that mean? That means you can be deceived. 
We can be deceived if we decide to in this area. He says, neither fornicators, that's just simply all manner of immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, but here's the big one, effeminate, the word catamite. It means womanlike. Let me say this, and let me say it real clear. It is never right for a male to act like a female. It is never, ever, ever, this goes over the internet, I want to make this clear, never right for a male to dress like a female, to look like a female, to move like a female. God has made females move like females, be like females, act like females. And all males say, amen, that's strange for sure. My dad, God bless his soul, if he saw any kind of femininity in us, he whacked it, brother. He whacked it right up for that. I mean, he just said, no, 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 no. I never want to see that again. I'll beat you to a pole. I said, amen. <laughs> Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, you look the word up, it simply means homosexual. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, because there's more than that. Just one. I'm just talking about this one subject nor revilers, nor extortioners. And read with me them next. Let's start with the word shall. Let's read together. Ready? Shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you're practicing this thing, these things, call yourself what you want to call yourself. But God says those who practice these things are not going to heaven. They're not going to be part of my kingdom. You understand that? I have taken people down and set them down they're homosexuals that try to tell me that God loves them and that they can, they're, they're saved and that they're, they're living for Jesus and I'm, they just live in a different way. It is, cannot be possible. It cannot be possible. It is not possible. One of the, the other things we learn from this passage is homosexuals are unstoppable except by death or God. If there would have been another way to save Sodom, God would have saved it. Had, there been a, had they been savable, look at it this way. Had they been savable, he would have saved them. He just sent his prophets down there to do some hellfire damnation preaching, start some independent Baptist churches, start going door to door, start going out there preaching on the street corner, and some of them boys would have got saved. God didn't do that because they weren't savable. They were committed for life. Now, I've seen homosexuals saved. I'm not saying they're not savable. But in this place, at Sodom, they were not savable. Because I know for a fact that it's not willing, God's not, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What is that, 1 Peter 3, 9, 4, 9? He's not willing any should perish. It's God's heart to save people. Look what he did. He gave his son. You don't give more than that. So his heart is clear. But these people are so committed, so, so dedicated, so given over, that eventually it comes to a place where they're not savable. You will have to shoot them to stop them. Well, the kings did that. Asa was, com was, was uh, complimented in 1 Kings 11 through 12, 15, 11 through 12. Asa did that was right in the eyes of the Lord, as, as did David his father. He took away the Sodomites out of the land. 
when it says take away the Sodomites out of the land, it's a nice way of saying it. He went around purging them and killed them. 1 Kings 22, 45, 46. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, and his might he showed and he warred, he written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. The remnant of the Sodomites, which remain in the days of Father Asa, he took out of the land. They understood that they were infectious, that they were a disease that would cause God's power to come down in judgment upon all of them. Every time in the Bible you see a king get rid of the Sodomites, you see a compliment right behind it. It's God's way. You say, this is hate. This ain't hate talk. This is Bible. Because what's hate is to let them get by with it. What's hate is to let them go to hell without warning them. That's what real hate is. Uh, God would have saved them. He would have behind every sin. But, I, but, but the conclusion of the matter tonight is that behind every sin, I believe there is a corresponding spirit of darkness. See, I don't think we wrestle against flesh and blood here. I don't think this is just human. I think there is a spirit, I'm talking a demonic spirit of homosexuality. And he has, he's old, he's old. And I can tell you by looking at history, he's powerful. And from generation to generation to generation, he's constantly knocking on the doors of people to go that way and trying to convince them of it. There was a spirit. By the way, the Bible says there's a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of error. There's a spirit of antichrist. It makes sense that the devil <coughs> and his angels are opposed to everything that God stands for. Makes sense? This whole deal about... Uh, homosexual marriage. Now, come on. God says clearly in the Bible that marriage is between a male and a female. That's been the standing truth for the 6,000 plus years of recorded human history. Our idiotic Supreme Court, by the way, if you read the opposing opinion of that decision, one of the opposing judges said the arrogance of the high court in overthrowing 6,000 years of human history. Now, that, that, that was one of the opposing, really opposing opinion of, of the losing side of that decision. And, and the, the, those, those four justices were abhorred at the other people who voted for it, saying, you are literally throwing a foundational truth of society upside down based on your short life. Look at history. You could never vote for that. But they did. Why? There's a spirit. There's a spirit working in our country. And that's why the Bible says there's light and darkness, truth and error, love versus fear. The spirit of darkness is opposite of God. God wants male and female. The devil wants male to male or female to female. Uh, uh, he don't care if he has male with animals or males with children. He don't care. He don't care how perverted it is. Just don't do what God says. God wants one man and one woman. The devil wants multiple combinations in every area but that to try to destroy God's pattern. Do you want to know why? Take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. 
And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. That's it. The devil wants to show God that he's more powerful than God. He has the ability, literally, to convince a male that is a male in every way that he's a female. He's so good at deception that he says, I can take what, I can take what you made and I can convince them that they're a female, that they're a female in a male body. And he goes, I think the devil goes around, I am good. I deceived the whole world. That's what's said of him right there. He deceiveth the whole world. He is, and, and of course, what's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the sin of the devil? Pride. Makes sense to me that he would go, oh, look at me, God. He wanted to rise up to be like God and, and to show that he was powerful and show he could. And by the way, you wouldn't be able to sit across the table from him and win without the Holy Spirit. You'd be convinced what he said. He's that, he's that good. He's that powerful. What we're battling and what the world's been battling since the beginning is the spirit of darkness. And in one, in, one, in one manifestation, it's the spirit of homosexuality. Just anything opposite God. I believe this goes back to body piercing. God made your body the way it is. The devil comes by and goes, stretch that ear like that. Put a massive hole over here. Well, how about put a, oh, farmers love this. Girls, you want to be beautiful? Put a hog ring in. I'm getting old. I want to grab that baby. If I get thrown in jail someday, you know what happened. I went over the edge. I grabbed that old hog ring goes, boom, I blow that. I mean, I just, I just, it's, it's, it's hard for me. I see them distorting their bodies. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to Dr. Dreisbach. Most of you don't know who he was. He was a missionary to Africa in the most primitive time in Africa. He was in the bush for 20 years. Did the first hip replacement in, in the United States, by the way. Very gifted man. I, I was taught by him for one semester. And he said he went into the bush where there was no Jesus, that nobody knew about him. And what did he find? He found them, first of all, they were naked. The beach. The second thing he found out was you couldn't find a five-year-old kid that wasn't violated. Immorality of every kind. The third thing he found is they distorted their bodies. They put rings in their necks, make them really long. They did this ear thing. And, and they, I, I can't even mention to you what, the, what they did to their women. I can't, I can't. It's, it's not possible in a mixed group to tell you what they did to the women, how horrible it was. Who was that? It wasn't God. They didn't even know about Jesus. It was a spirit of darkness. When he began to preach Jesus and some of them began to get saved, when a whole village would get saved, and he said a whole village would get saved, they would all get dressed. They would begin to get rid of their, 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 uh, their distortions. And they would, and they would, uh, they would be clothed and in the right mind. The devil 
will take you out of your right mind. Get her in maniac. What happened when you met Jesus? He got clothed and he got in his what? Right mind. All that other stuff is not your right mind. You're not in your right mind. You're being influenced by the spirit of darkness. And he runs from one generation to the other. He never quits. He never gets tired. He never gives up. He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. He laughs at God when he has victory, when he convinces the whole city to be that way. And God rains down on it, uh, fire and brimstone as he did Sodom and Gomorrah, and kills all those people. Where do those people go when they die? Hell. The devil says, ha. You made them, and I made it where you had to send them to hell. I won. He didn't know about Jesus, I don't think. But Jesus was coming. And every time a soul gets saved in Jesus, Satan loses. He loses. You people. He lost. He lost. And God forbid that we assent to the deception of homosexuality. Whatever you do, do not put your stamp of approval on it. It is not an alternative lifestyle. It is a lifestyle of death. They are not the gentle, kind people that they portray themselves to be. And they will commit suicide among them as massively high, round in their 30s. But why? They hate. I've had homosexuals look at me, transvestite especially, and look at me in the eye with the most pitiful look and say, I hate myself. I hate Hate myself. God forbid. Now, parents, we got parents in this room with children. Your kids are the target. Your kids the target. Your kids the target. Your kids the target. And trust me, he's going to come after. Them. And you are responsible as a parent to stop it. And brother and sister, stop it young. My dad started on this anti-homosexual thing when I was small, and he kept it up all the way till I got out of the house. He never gave it one little inch of credibility. He says it's perverted, and he said, if you become a homosexual, I may take you out myself. Thank God for a man like that. Now, that's not what convinced me about homosexuality. What convinced me about homosexuality was this and the spirit of the living God. But my dad was, was in conjunction with this. My parents, you parents, don't let your boy be effeminate. Man, the first little, ah, he does whoop on him, make him go out and eat worms. I'll tell you what it is, I'm, I'm just going to get down and dirty. Mothers, quit feminizing your boys. You don't want them to be like you. You want them to be like your, the, the dad, the man. Oh, but men are crude and... I, I hate to say it, people in this church have had children turn out to be homosexuals. But I warned them. I met with them and said, your boy's effeminate. Your boy talks like this. He ought to be talking like this. Your boy's acting like this, and he ought to be acting like this. I'd rather see him getting an old-fashioned fist fight out there than I would uh, loving on each other. 
And they just said, oh, you know, the mother always would be the one to speak up and say, oh, you know, I want my boy to be gentle. I want my boy to be appreciative of fine things. I said, he will be. And to this day he is with his male counterpart. You can't give it an inch. Don't give it any room. None. Girls, you need to let go of your boys here to the dad or the man of the family. And if you don't have a man around, then find a man that will help your boy be a man. And it will help him. And, and men, if, if your wife starts trying to intercede, you be the man of your house and say, you will not do this. Oh, I stirred you up just before Super Bowl. Father, we pray, Spirit of God, to come help us. Man, I don't want to see one more homosexual come out of Gospel Baptist, male or female. God forbid, God forbid that our children, our children's children would, would, would choose that. We know the devil, and we know he's after him. We know in the, in the still of the night he's talking to him. God help him to go to the Bible. Go to the book, trust in you, lean on you. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.